Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today to Off the Bench. You found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Thursday, May 27th. And last week, I quoted my friend Ryan Bomberger talking about critical race theory. And he says it's a cancer, not a cure. Today, we're going to talk about it. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, you guys, so a couple of things before I get going today, you're going to want to know what's happening this weekend. So I told you guys that Jay was going to take off ahead of me because my daughter was in a play. So she did the play and she did actually it was a dance recital. We had almost a thousand people come through here over the weekend. Really cool. The gospel was presented at the Homeschool Resource Center, which is why we started the thing in the first place. So an amazing, amazing weekend here. And Jay was supposed to meet me in Orlando. So his the plan was he would leave on Thursday and I would fly out on Wednesday and meet him in Orlando. Well, he went to get the motorhome ready, decided, hey, I'm going to change this thing in the bathroom, discovered that the whole floor from stem to stern of the motorhome was rotten. So had to start tearing the whole thing up. And that's legit what happened. So he didn't even get out until Saturday morning. The guy has been driving 12-hour days. So pray for him. At the time of this recording, he is almost to Kansas City, Missouri. But we'll be meeting up for the FPEA conference in Orlando. So that's this weekend. And from what I understand, Governor DeSantis is going to be there speaking. And so you guys are not going to want to miss this. The Florida Parent Educators Association, one of the best homeschool conferences in the nation, happening this weekend, the 27th through the 29th, and I will be there. So coming out and say hello. All right, you guys, without further ado, I want to introduce my friend, Ryan Bomberger. Ryan is just an amazing human being. I met he and Bethany, and I love their ministry. He's really got a unique perspective on the innate nature of purpose. His biological mom was raped, yet courageously gave him a chance to live and the beautiful gift of adoption. He was adopted at six weeks of age and grew up in a loving multiracial family of 15. An amazing man with an amazing testimony. Ryan, my friend, welcome back to the show. It is great to be here with you, Heidi. We have some stuff to talk about. I'm so glad that you're here. You have been following, I know, what's happening in our schools right now with the adoption of critical race theory here in Washington state. It is now the law. So our governor passed it into law that it's mandated that all the teachers and staff are taught critical race theory, this just massive racist ideology. And you wrote about it, probably one of the most thoughtful articles that I have seen written. And you said critical race theory is a cancer not a cure. What prompted you to write that? Give me your, I just want to hear your take on it. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously something that we want to offer as a remedy should bring healing. And that's not at all what critical race theory does. In fact, it it opens up old wounds and it pours all kinds of salt onto those wounds and also says, well, those wounds are going to be forever. So how could it possibly be something that, that brings any kind of cure, especially when it's so hostile to biblical Christianity, which actually has the cure to all of our human frailty. So I'm not a fan whatsoever of critical race theory. And as somebody who's grown up in this culture, watching what's happening, you and I talked about this last time that Jay and I were privileged to hang out with you, just what the racial divide in this country is growing by the minute. And it seems to me when we were way worse off now than we were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, why do you think that is? And what's the solution going forward? Well, exactly. That's part of the problem. If you look at some Gallup polls, for instance, that has tracked, you know, racial, the racial attitude, the racial climate for years, 
two to four percent of Americans said race and racism were the biggest problems in America from the 70s through the 90s. And guess when it changed? It was two to four percent during that time. That was the average. But it changed during President Obama's presidency and it spiked to 17 percent, 17 percent, went back down toward the end of his his term and then spiked up again to 19 percent. And why is that? It's not because cultural attitudes necessarily have changed, not because Americans' attitudes have changed, but because mainstream media is dead set on coloring the narrative, on pitting us against each other, on only, for instance, reporting when people of my complexion are ever harmed or killed by police and putting out this nonsense that there's an epidemic of violence against Black people by our police, by our men and women in blue who serve and protect by a handful, maybe, who, who abuse their authority, and those need to be held to account. But there's no epidemic of violence. So we are being fed a lie by mainstream media, by Hollywood, by these institutions of higher learning. I put that in quotes because I think higher meant that they're taking drugs because I don't know what they're actually learning. <laughs> well, they're learning to be racist. We can say that with absolute certainty. And I'm curious, you know, as, as we've seen now, we, we're watching this now, the law here where I live in Washington state, it's a very sad, this is a sad time to be a Washingtonian. It's one of the reasons why I'm running for Congress. And I think that if, that if ordinary people like you and I, if we don't start standing up and say, no, are there racists in the country? Yes. Are we a racist nation? No, we're not a racist nation. I reject the narrative on its face. What can ordinary people do to get involved and start standing up against this? Because I feel like people are afraid now. We're afraid to say anything. We're afraid because of, you know, they're going to label you. You're just an idiot. Oh, that's your white privilege talking, right? I, I spoke out about this last week on my Facebook page and immediately 7,000 angry liberals, because I've actually never met a happy liberal, 7,000 angry liberals came over to my page and said, you need to shut up and go home. That's your white privilege talking. You have no business in this conversation. And I think a lot of people whose skin is my complexion are being told, you can't speak into this. And by the way, that's your white privilege. And here's your critical race theory book. Go home and read it. I hate that. I hate that nonsense that truth is isolated apparently to your pigmentation. Anybody can speak truth regardless of the hue of their skin. And thank God people who are white sp spoke truth to the issue of slavery. I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be married to my Greek, Italian, and German wife. She is very Greek, Italian, by the way. Yes. My wife, Bethany, I love her like crazy. We, Our marriage would still be illegal if white people didn't speak to this issue. In fact, Frederick Douglass praised white people, some of the most noblest men he said that he's ever known. And you think about Harriet Beecher Stowe. What if she never wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin? Oh, well, she's white. She can't speak to this issue. Any person of any hue can speak to any issue of injustice. So don't ever allow anybody to silence you. Get involved in your school boards. Speak up at your church. When you hear something that's coming from the pulpit that is not biblically rooted, challenge, now out of truth and love, challenge your, your pastor. Challenge people in positions of authority. Here in Loudoun County in Virginia, parents have done that. And wow, if you can just go on YouTube and see some of these videos of these Loudoun County uh, parents challenging an ignorant school board that knows nothing about the policies that they're passing and the racism that they're actually promoting. So there are different ways that we can get involved. We just cannot afford to be silent about this because this is a dangerous ideology that is infecting our children who are now seeing each other, you know, in these two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors. And what am I? I'm half white, half black. So I guess I'm in both. I'm both the oppressor and I'm both the oppressed. That is who wants to see life that way? Yeah.
Yeah. And this goes back to the issue of reparations and people feeling like, hey, something that happened 400 years ago, you need to pay up for that now. So it's not enough that the Biden administration is going to get in there and cripple us with taxes and, you know, cut off the Keystone Pipeline line and open up the southern border. Now we're talking about reparations, taking even more money from people for something they had nothing to do with. And it's fascinating to me that someone like you, I mean, I just wish, I told you this last time, but I just wish you were on the news every single night because there are very few voices uh, like yours that are being allowed, and that's really what it comes down to, allowed out into the mainstream media culture because they want us to see ourselves in category of victim and oppressor. Well, and, and certain people too want to perpetually be the victims or at least promote that narrative. It keeps them in business. I mean, Booker T. Washington wrote about that in his book about those who want to keep up this this industry of grievances, you know? And so it's, it's interesting because being half white, half black, when it comes to reparations, especially like, does the white half of me pay the black half of me? I mean, this is the whole ridiculousness of reparations. And, and think of it this way. What about the black descendants of those who were black slave owners? You know, Harvard's Harry Louis Gates Jr. writes about black slave owners. So should those descendants also have to pay reparations? And what about the descendants of abolitionists? Should they then be exempt from reparations? But this is the problem with reparations, uh, you know, coming from, a, coming from the party that went to war to defend slavery. You know, if anybody's going to pay reparations, I'm okay. Here's where the, the one little caveat for me. Yes, maybe there should be a source who pays reparations. How about it be the Democrat Party? Since they're the ones who fought for slavery, let them start paying. Hey, you guys, you have probably heard by now that I am running for the United States House of Representatives to represent District 3 in Washington State. And I wanted to let you know that there are a couple of ways that you can help us. First of all, follow me on all of my campaign social media platforms. You can find Heidi St. John for Congress at Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram. And of course, sign up to get on the mailing list at Heidi St. John for Congress. We are up against a very big second quarter fundraising deadline right now. And we need you to donate to the campaign. Every little bit helps. And so you guys have heard me say before, it takes a lot of money to run a campaign like this. And there's some very important things coming up. If you go to the website, HeidiStJohnForCongress.com, you can find out exactly how to donate. And I would so appreciate that. Also, you can volunteer. And we need volunteers from all over the country. We need prayer volunteers. And you can sign up to be on our prayer team at HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. You can complete the volunteer form there and you can join my fight for the soul of America. Again, you guys, that website is HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. Right. And they're talking out of both sides of their mouth right now. And you can't have it both ways. And we need to stand for liberty. And we're losing our liberty in this nation. We're losing it. We're losing it fast. And once they turn us against each other, once we start indoctrinating our children, starting in kindergarten, which is what they're doing, we're, we're going to have a hard time recovering from this, I think, as a nation. I, I'm curious, you guys obviously very involved in homeschooling and in the homeschool movement. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, if your kids aren't in the public school, then you don't have a voice in it because your your kids aren't in the school. Well, you and I have a different approach to that. I started going to our school board meetings and my kids have never set foot in that school. But it just so happens my tax money goes to fund it. And what do you say to parents who are they see that this is wrong, but they're hesitating to jump in, hesitating to go to a school board meeting? What's a good place for them to to start to find their courage, because we've got a pandemic of courage in the country right now, and it takes courage 
to speak out against these issues? Where do we start? Well, we have to start by informing ourselves. We, we can't. I mean, I know there's there are plenty of options of education, but why don't we take a few of those hours of binge watching and actually shift it over to what's going on in my immediate area? And it's not that hard to find out. I mean, there are resources. Sometimes there are organizations in your local area that are that are actually fighting this this specific thing. I think there's an organization called Parents. Is it Parents Defending Education that's actually fighting, specifically fighting critical race theory? But you can find out what's being taught. Look at the minutes of your local school boards. We we have to want to know what's going on. And, and it's not just schools. What about businesses? Businesses that are, especially corporate America, corporate America that is probably, I just find it funny. Like, for instance, Nike. You know, you have uh, Colin Kaepernick, who's had this, you know, multi-million dollar contract with Nike. And during this time, Nike's entire executive leadership board, executive team was all white, but yet they're talking about inequality and Black Lives Matter and about, you know, racial equity, which I don't care actually if something is necessarily all white or that that's not evil. That's not inherently evil. But when you have a company that's saying, hey, you guys aren't being, you know, you're not pushing for racial equality. You don't have racial equity. And then you look at their, their executive team, like, What? So only recently, only recently did they add a little because they realized, wait a minute, the optics of this, we're the ones talking about racial equity and we actually have none here. But this is, so people need to find out what are, what are the corporations that you're supporting? What are they espousing? And at some point, I know we can't boycott everything, but we can start with something. Maybe there's, it's not wrong to withhold your, your money, your funding from an organization that is hostile to you. And they're not messing around. Yeah, they are hostile. They're not messing around. Here in our district in Oregon, I saw school board notes the other day and I posted it on my Facebook page and they were talking about, you know, here's this like six or seven member school board and they've decided now they're going to fly the Black Lives Matter flag. So right under the United States flag, we're going to fly the Black Lives Matter flag. We're going to fly LGBTQ the flag, the pride flag, because, you know, it's June. And after all, we got to start talking, we're talking about what everybody does in their bedroom now. And I thought, and one of the people on the thread said, well, of course, that's what they're doing. Whenever a conquering nation or a conquering army takes that territory, they fly the flag. And that's what's going on. And it goes to, it goes to the identity, not just the identity of our nation, but we're talking about core identity issues as Christians. When we're failing to be able to, even as Christians, as espouse who we are, male and female. God made us male and female. Yes, gender is binary, people. And then you've got this whole Black Lives Matter. And then if you talk to people about what the tenets of Black Lives Matter, uh, what their manifesto is, whether you go to blacklivesmatter.com or you go to M4BL, you read their manifesto. This is radical racial propaganda. And yet we want to fly these flags I mean, the very people who are pushing this, the white liberals who are pushing this are the ones who are going to end up being pushed out anyway, because you can never be right if you're white. That's the whole mentality. That's that's what black. So you want to replace supposed white supremacy with black supremacy. The only thing that should be supreme is God in our lives as we love one another. And reject lies so clever, as Ephesians 4.14 says, lies so clever they sound like the truth. There are a lot of people being deceived. And if we don't get on board, and I mean literally on board, on the school boards, and understand what these companies are promoting, our children are, they're the collateral damage. But for the left, they're always the acceptable collateral damage. 
And really, if we don't start speaking up, I'm I'm actually really excited here. So part of the reason, one of the reasons why I ran for Congress was so that I could inspire a generation of people who are watching me to say, listen, this is our country. And we have a seat at the table by virtue of the fact that we live here, the freest nation on the face of the earth, still with the most amazing governing document, the Constitution that has ever been written. And George Washington, I believe he was the guy who said, listen, I just we have a republic if we can keep it and we won't keep it if we don't start speaking up. And I love I love your shirt. Truth, preach it. You guys gave me one. I wear it everywhere. I think I've had pictures of myself taken in that shirt from sea to shining sea because the truth doesn't change. It doesn't change. And we have a responsibility as believers to speak the truth wherever we see something is wrong. And a way to do that is to start getting onto these school boards and saying, no, I'm sorry, we're not doing that anymore. Vaccine passports, right? That's a big issue right now. And unless, and a lot of these are school boards. I, I saw a school right here in Oregon. They're Oregon, the first state now in the nation to mandate vaccine passports. So you can't get, you can't go into a business now unless you can show them your vaccine passport. This is garbage on its face. And we are entering into a very, very scary time. But it's going to require ordinary people like you and like me to say, you know what, we're going to get involved. And it really does begin locally, right? Just get just I mean, look and see. I love what you're saying. Look and see what's happening on your school board. I want to go back to talking about Black Lives Matter for a moment, because I had an opportunity to talk in Los Angeles to a whole bunch of high school kids who came in with their Black Lives Matter t-shirts and their hats and their buttons and the whole thing. And I asked them if they knew the history of Black Lives Matter. So I guess, Ryan, my my question to you is, because I know you know the history, does Black Lives Matter care about Black lives? Not really. I mean, certainly it's only, it should be called the Some Black Lives Matter movement because they... Seriously, I mean, it arose out of the deaths of black men, for instance, and actually didn't care about the black women, for instance, who were killed by abortionists, you know, like Tanya Reeves or Lakeisha Wilson, uh, or Qualisha James, who was uh, a pregnant woman whose boyfriend killed her because homicide is the leading cause of death among pregnant women, you know, by, by those individuals, the men who didn't want them to have babies. But no one wants to talk about that. So the Black Lives Matter movement ignored all them and only focus on the men. But it's interesting because at the same time they focus on the men, they completely ignore fathers. You have you have some evangelical leaders, for instance, talking about, well, the Black Lives Matter movement, it's been hijacked. I'm like, it's never been hijacked. If you have the founders saying we're trained Marxists and you see that exemplified in all of their radical claims, I mean, they're talking about abolishing the police, abolishing prisons, reparations, and not just reparations for people of my complexion uh, or people who whose ancestors were actually enslaved here, but for those who are here illegally, I'm like, wait, why do they get reparations? What? This is the insanity. Removing all punishment for, for black students in schools because of the disproportionate punishments that, you know, all these reports from the NAACP and National Urban League, which are all distorted and put out of context because unfortunately, a lot of the the children who actually commit some of these violations in these schools are disproportionately black. But that goes to the whole root of the family and fatherlessness. But there are so many who know nothing, nothing about Black Lives Matter, know nothing about the radicalism. And when you have someone who's who's professing to be a socialist, Patrice Colors, and she owns, what is it, four or five houses now? Because Mansions, man, these are big right. houses. Yeah, a, yeah. It's a fraud. It's a total fraud masquerading as racial justice, and it doesn't want justice at all. No. It wants inequality. It is, 
It does. And it is a political ideology. So that's why I told these students, I said, these people are trained Marxists. That's what they'll tell you. And really, Marxism, just, you know, socialism light. It's like the violent form of socialism. You're just on the cusp of communism at this point. And yet we've blind Christians and woke churches you know, uh, all over the United States right now who are like, yeah, Black Lives Matter. And we need to, uh, as Christians, especially, we need to get, we need to start saying absolutely not to this ideology, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, the the, the axiom itself, I guess the hashtag Black Lives Matter, yes, Black Lives Matter. But what do, why do they matter? Because we're made in the image of God, you know, black, white, and every hue in between. But the, I mean, the other thing about the Black Lives Matter movement, it's radically pro-abortion. So how are you going to say Black Lives Matter and then you partner with the leading killer of Black Lives, Planned Parenthood? And they do. They, they've all they've actually had a, a solidarity statement with the abortion industry and with abortion groups. So that's why I'm saying only some Black Lives Matter. But churches who have jumped on this bandwagon have abandoned scripture, have abandoned biblical authority for a broken worldview that will only ever produce more brokenness. I hope you guys are enjoying my conversation with my friend Ryan Bomberger. For more information about Ryan, you can go to radiancefoundation.org. These guys are doing amazing things, speaking to the issue of race and God's love for all of us, that we are all one race, the human race. These guys are an amazing, amazing couple, and I hope you guys will check it out. Also, they have a wonderful book, Pro-Life Kids. You're going to want to check that out, and I will link back to it in the show notes today. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I will see you tomorrow at FPEA in Florida and right back here for part two of my interview with my friend Ryan Bomberger. For more encouragement, visit me online at momstronginternational.com.